Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. Sponsored by therelaxeddog.com. Thank you for listening. This is episode 31. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog are well. This week's guest is Erica Bowling, and she'll be telling us all about her Belgian Malinois, Archie. But first, in some doggy news, and forgive the pronunciation, but in Spalamcheen, I think it is, in Canada, there was a young child who had some developmental delays, uh, wandered away from their home, and the family, obviously distressed, called in the local officials, and police dog Jagger turned up in a matter of hours tracked the missing child through a wooded area and to a a gravel pit where the child was found in good condition and returned safely to the family. So well done, Jagger. Now we go to Texas in the USA where, I'll keep this one short, Someone had a loaded pistol tucked inside the waistband of their pants, picked up their dog, and unfortunately the dog's paw lodged in the trigger, sending a bullet into that person's thigh. I think there is an obvious lesson there. And in contrast to that, There is something called the Genius Dog Contest, which I'll just be finishing by the time this episode comes out. And they're going to live stream on Facebook and YouTube. Six of the world's smartest dogs will be up against each other in a series of uh, events, which is also doubling as a scientific experiment in a quest to find a successor to a uh, border collie by the name of Chaser, who had learned more than 1,000 nouns. That's a smart dog. So how many words does your dog know? I think you may be surprised when you start totaling them up. And now, on to this week's interview. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. I am here with... Erica Bowling, how are you today? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for inviting me today. It is my absolute pleasure. Now, I think I might have ever made a mistake. Is it doctor or should I have used doctor? Oh, you can. You don't have to, but it is. <laughs> but uh, yeah, some people call me doctor. <laughs> you can use my first name during the interview. We'll keep it personal. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. And today... We're going to be talking all about... We're going to be talking about Bachi. Bachi. Now, for those people that don't know, who is Bachi? Bachi is my Belgian Malinois. Um, He was my first Malinois from Working Bloodlines, and he he actually just recently turned 11 years old. Um, In just about two more months, he'll be 11 and a half. So uh, he's been with me quite a while, and thankfully he's still with me today. (laughs) That's fantastic. Now I'm going to ask, like I do everyone, to go back in time and tell us what led you guys getting together and, and why. Yeah, we started out, I was doing search and rescue, and I had a Doberman, 
And I had originally gotten her as a, a pet dog. I did not get her to be a working dog. And she came, she did not really come from working lines. And uh, I wanted, I needed a dog with more drive and a dog that was bred to work. And so I basically was, um, I met on my search and rescue team, one of the people on the team uh, too, we had a people with a Malinois and a Dutch shepherd and um, they were search dogs. And I just um, absolutely fell in love with them. And I'd actually wanted a Malinois, oh gosh, probably 20 years ago uh, when I was um, working on my PhD, but I was living in an apartment and I did a lot of research and I read about all the high energy and the needs of the Malinois. And thankfully I decided at the time that was not the best fit for my lifestyle. And so I, um, that's how I kind of ended up with um, doing uh, the, the Dobermans that were not from a working line. But, um, but now that I was ready for a working line dog, um, basically through the search and rescue team, I decided that now is the time I wanted to get a Malinois. And so I started doing a lot of research and um, there is uh, Michael Ellis, uh, a breeder out on the West Coast in California. Um, he, I'm not sure how I originally found out about him as a breeder, but I started doing some research, researching his bloodlines. And he did a breeding with a dog. Um, there's a woman in California named Debbie Skinner. And she, had, um, she has dogs with some real old school Belgian, working Belgian bloodlines. And so I did a lot of, gosh, I probably spent two years of research wow. <laughs> um, before this. And, you know, I did a lot of research, studied the breed. Um, I was even going on research online forums in Europe and translating the forum conversations to learn about the different bloodlines. And then when I learned about this breeding, I got on the waiting list. It was interesting. Um, I originally was not supposed to get him. I was supposed to get a dog from a different litter and he was supposed to be for search and rescue. And, um, oh gosh, it was probably about four weeks before I was supposed to get him. I went and watched a friend compete in a sport called French ring. It's a protection sport. And I'd never seen it in real life before. And I went to visit her. I saw it and I absolutely fell in love with the sport. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do this. And so I told the breeder that I, you know, I was interested in um, possibly doing the sport and he actually, um, they didn't think they had a puppy for me in the litter that I wanted. But when I told him I had interest in doing some other things, he says, you know what? I think I got a dog for you in this other litter that you originally wanted. And so um, that was how I ended up with him. It was quite a long journey. It was, a, you know, I wanted a dog from that litter. I thought I was going to get one from the a previous one. And then when I kind of thought I would change my direction, I, um, uh, in a roundabout way, I ended up with him. <laughs> and so uh, it was interesting because he was supposed to be for search and rescue. Um, but I tell you, when I first saw that sport, um, I had never seen such a tremendous level of drive, crazy energy, crazy drive in a working dog and to see handlers with so much control. I had never seen such precise, um, just the, the, the control and the responsiveness and the relationship with the handler and the dog. Um, it really grabbed me the first instant I saw it. And deep down, I think I kind of knew that that's what I wanted to do. But then I, <laughs> I was like, how do I, how do I tell the search and rescue team <laughs> after they spent all this time helping me and mentor me? And I thought, okay, I'm going to dabble in both while he's a puppy. And then I'm going to see what he excels in. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's what I was going to do. Well, he comes from working bloodlines. He comes from bloodlines that do the protection sports and the Mondio and the police dogs. So it was in his blood. It was in his genetics that he would absolutely love the protection sports. But um, it took me about... It took me about nine months to build up the courage and tell my search and rescue team that I didn't want to do the searching anymore, but I actually wanted to go into protection work. Um, and I was really scared of what they would think of, but they were amazing. They said, you know, we're just so happy that you found something you're passionate about. And we're so happy to see you're so excited about this. And I was like, why didn't I tell them sooner? But um, 
I felt, yeah, I felt really guilty that I had spent so much time having them help me figure out, you know, where to get this dog. <laughs> and then I, I changed what I did. <laughs> so he, um, he trained when he was young up till about nine months, eight months old. He did do training in search and rescue. Um, but then we found a trainer in Connecticut um, who was very experienced in the sport I wanted to do. And um, pretty much switched them over around nine, nine months old. Um, so that's how I ended up with him and how I ended up. He is not a search and rescue dog. He actually did, uh, he's retired from protection work. Well, firstly, I applaud the, the time and the effort to, to do the research before getting a dog. And I think, wow, I mean, so many people just go bang and get something and then they don't realize what they have. So kudos yeah. to you for that. Now, yeah. how was how was Barchi when you sort of like first sort of like collected? Can you recall the first meeting? Yeah, he flew in on the airplane, and you know he he came right out, and you know you know t- typical puppy, and um, settled right in. But I think he had jet lag. <laughs> I, I think he started to wake up about five days later. And um, he was my first working line dog, my first Malinois um, from very strong bloodlines. And, you know, you can do all the research in the world to be prepared, but I was not prepared. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, he was a handful. He He's a very strong, very dominant dog. And these are dogs, you know, when you think of police dogs, um, police dogs are bred and trained that when you put pressure on them, they fight back. You know, if, if you have somebody stabbing you or, you know, a police dog and somebody's punching it and fighting it, you want that dog to fight back. You don't want them to back, back down, Absolutely. you know. So that's the kind of dog I got. <laughs> so when he was, he was eight weeks old and I took him it was a soccer game going on and I was out in a field just sitting there, you know, sitting there with my puppy, my little puppy watching the soccer game. And he starts biting me. And, um, I mean, kind of typical puppy biting, but you know, more so from, you know, Malinois and being a working line, they're very, very, very mouthy typically. Mm -hmm. And I just gave a stern, no, you know, I, I just raised my voice and he just went like, all out attack mode on me. <laughs> and I just had to hold him away from my body because he, he went after me and, you know, I had blood on my arm and, <laughs> and he was eight weeks old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it was challenging. He, um, he was a kind of puppy. If, if you tried to restrain him, you know, if he was running around and, and, and you grabbed him or grabbed his collar and, and tried to restrain him, he, he would go after you. He would, I mean, it wasn't like a puppy bite. Like he would be like pissed off and say, let me go and, and go, you know, bite you. Like he wanted you to, you know, force, you know, force you to make you let go. And, um, and he was also, um, he was not, uh, not super social. Like he was when it, I took him to like a 5k race. I was just carrying him in my arms. You know, he's a little puppy and he saw a, um, there was a dog. Oh, maybe the dog was maybe 15 feet from us, 10 feet from us. And he saw that dog and just went into like attack mode. Like he just wanted to go after this dog. And he he was eight weeks old, eight, eight eight or nine weeks old. (laughs) Serious attitude. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so it was interesting because, um, you know, all my other dogs were a lot softer, a lot easier dogs. And I tried to raise him, um, in, you know, all positive and re- positive reinforcement. And, you know, I, I tried to treat him at first, like I did all my other dogs and it did not go well. <laughs> so did you have other dogs at home at the time? At the time I had, um, a, um, my female Doberman. So he got along with her. He got along well, I think, you know, with the, the female dog and she was, um, he was a puppy when they were introduced. So, um, so he got along with her, but, um, but I can't trust him around like strange dog, like other male dogs and, and, you know, having two dominant male personalities that, that, that doesn't, I, I can't trust him. You know, I, he can be in obedience and be in control. He can be around dogs and compete 
and, you know, um, just leave them alone. But, um, but he can't be trusted to just go and kind of hang out with a strange dog. It's, it's, <laughs> but thankfully, um, you know, he, he did get along with the Doberman and, um, and I did not have, I had a male Doberman before that, but I think he passed away. Um, he had, my male Doberman, he actually, I got bocce just a, maybe a, a two months after my, uh, before my male Doberman passed away. So it was just him and my female Doberman. So they got along. Nice. And how was he in the sort of like early adolescent stage? <laughs> in the early adolescent stages, um, he started challenging me more. <laughs> and uh, and this is... <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot from him. I learned the most from him, but I, I really, um, thankfully, um, the breeder put me in touch with the, the, uh, French ring group in, um, Connecticut where I trained and, um, the trainer that I worked with was very, very, very experienced with these types of dogs. And I think that's the only reason I survived and got through that was because I had very experienced people who knew exactly the kind of dog I was working with. And um, they helped mentor me and guide me and helped me with the training and, and helped me get through the adolescence phases. Um, I'll tell you, there were many days I'd come home from training just crying. <laughs> um, and it was really hard with him up till about, after about a year and a half, um, then, you know, things started smoothing out, you know, we knew how to interact with each other. I, I was more skilled in what I was doing. I communicated better with him. He communicated better with me and our relationship really started to get stronger. But the first year, year and a half were really challenging with him, uh, really challenging, but I learned a lot and I really, really leaned heavily on the expertise of the expert trainers around me to guide me through that process. Can you recall any of the, uh, say, more challenging times? Um, there were there were times that, well, sometimes training around, you know, other dogs. If he decides he wants to go after one of them, or you know, uh, attack a dog, like you know, he would go months and months, and you think that you know he's fine, and you start to let your guard down, and then you know something kind of sets him off, and so it, it keeps you keeps you on your toes. You know, you can't. You know, it's, you know, a, a lot of his dr drive and personality and his as his strong personality as, you know, this, you have environmental factors, but you also have genetics. And so, you know, he's this type of dog, you just, you just can't, and, and many of these type of working dogs, you just can't let your guard down, you know, um, because of, you know, the, the strength and the power, the drive and, and things like that. So, um, so he kept me on my toes. I know a couple of times, like, um, one time he was nine months old and again, I, he, he was in a down stay and he broke, broke the down. I think he sat up or went to move. And I, and I was very, very, you know, strong voice. I said, no down, you know, I just raised my voice and, and he growled back at me just for my raised voice. And he was a type of dog. I could not be emotional training him. Um, if I was emotional, he would react um, with, you know, with emotion or he never like bit me, bit me, but like he, you could see he was right. If you, if you got emotional or if you say did something that, you know, he thought was not fair, he definitely could be a dog that would, um, that would, you know, go up the leash at the handler or, or bite the handler. So I had to really learn how to, um, if I got frustrated or, or things like that, I, I really had to keep my emotions under control because he did not respond well if I got um, impatient and, and emotional in the training. And, and emotional, like I said, just simply raising my voice could get a reaction out of him. Um, you could not bring in anger or, you know, be all frustrated and be like, ah. <laughs> um, and there were many times when I would get frustrated, but, um, but I learned that I had to just be like, you know, just come in and we're training. And, you know, if I, if I am getting upset or frustrated or whatever, that's not the time to train. Yeah. I've heard, and, yeah. um, that, yeah, uh, I learned get, that from him. You get some of them, they, they really, it's almost like a craving of the, of that stability that they want from you. They don't want any deviation or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, 
you know, it, uh, there, you know, they're just little incidents, you know, here and there where, you know, you just kind of learn like, all right, well, I can't do that. Or that didn't go well next time. And when I'm feeling that way, I just won't train. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I learned a lot, a lot with that. And then, um, and just the, um, a lot of it was just communication, you know, improving the communication because what made it challenging was if there was a miscommunication, you know, and then if the frustration came in, um, but if, you know, if it was clear and you communicate and like I said, I just kind of, um, you know, I can get all excited and be like, yay, yay, yay. But um, any kind of a serious tone or being upset or tenseness, um, I had to, had to keep that under check. And, and he was much, you know, much better um, when we would train in those types of situations. Okay. And should I ask, were there times where he showed his softer side to you when he was young like that? Yeah, it was interesting. He's like super, super affectionate. Like he loves to give hugs. He would like take his paws and wrap his paws and, you know, kind of like, you know, like wants to touch you and feel you and put, put his paw on you. And so he's super with people who he knows and likes, he's very cuddly, very, very affectionate. Um, you know, like he, he likes it. Like I'll be on the couch and he's like laying at my feet and he like, he wants to get close and close and close. And sometimes I'll just like sit down next to him. And like, he was doing it last night. I was sit on the ground with him and he'll literally like lay half his body over on top of me. <laughs> Um, and I mean, he'll literally like sometimes, um, he's old now and he can't jump up. You know, I would let him on occasionally on the couch or he might jump on the bed, but he's, he's not strong enough now to be leaping up, but like, he would like to do things like he would just lay his whole body just completely on top of you and just snuggle and super, super affectionate. Um, so it was interesting because people would see him on the competition field and, you know, he's like this, you know big, bad, tough guy. And, you know, people, you know, people would be, um, even, you know, people that were experienced with these types of dogs, they'd be like, Oh, we're not going to mess with Bachi, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but I'm like, you know, the, the, he would give this impression to them and they would be like, Oh, you know, you know, he's this big bad dog. We better be careful. And then he was like, just such a love bug also. So, um, so that, that is something that stands out is just, he's always been just super, super affectionate and tactile, you know, like he, 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 he likes to be on you, next to you, touching you, putting his foot. Um, he, he likes that touch. I know I have some friends that have Malinois that they just, they're not cuddly. They, they, they're not big on being pet. And um, I really enjoy having the dogs that like to be super affectionate like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So um, can you remember some of his like early performances in, in competition? He was, I really lucked out. He was just amazing. Um, he, um, he, it was my first time in the sport and he made it seem so easy because when I got my second dog for the sport, it was like, okay, this isn't quite as easy as I thought with Bachi. <laughs> um, but yeah, he just, uh, he did really well at one point in time, one point, um, he was like number two in the nation. Uh, there's three different levels, ring one, ring two and ring three. And we were, um, I think it was, um, in the national championships, like he would, you know, scored super high and, and, and did really, really well. And, um, just, you know, we, we had great trainers and great people supporting us and he had the genetics, you know, for, for the sport. Mm -hmm. And, um, a lot of it just came naturally in the, in the protection sports, you have a lot of dogs, you know, where you have to d develop bite technique or, um, getting them calm on the bite or building up um, dogs that don't have confidence and you need to build up their confidence. And like, he had all of that genetically. Um, he had just a natural, amazing deep bite. He had a natural, you know, calm bite. He had natural drive that no matter how, how challenging the situation or the environment, he had the drive to push through it. Um, you know, um, nothing would scare him, you know, uh, off the field or make him, you know, nervous to where he didn't want to do the work. So a lot of that was just really good genetics for the work. And then, like I said, we had some really good trainers, um, mentoring and helping us. So, um, he, he, I mean, we worked really hard. It wasn't, you know, easy per se. We, we put many, 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 many hours of training, but, um, but when we actually walked onto the trial field, he carried that right onto the competition field. 
And my other dog, that was not the case because we, you know, train really hard and we go on the competition field and it was be like, whoa, what just, what just happened? <laughs> and um, Bachi was really consistent. He was real consistent in the training. And we would go on the trial field and he would just do it. We would get so many compliments from people who just, they just liked watching how we work together. And even now he's been retired for many years. And I still have people today who, who make comments about how much they enjoyed watching us um, compete together on the field. And can you give us a, a, a brief overview of what French ring, the components of it? Yeah. Um, in French ring, um, it's, the there's a three a couple different phases. The first phase is um, you show the dog's ability, the physical ability, and uh, jumping. So they have like a hurdle jump. It goes up to like 1.3 meters. I have a broad jump. They have a palisade wall. That's I don't know how high it is in um, the highest level, but I mean the dog's like scaling this wall. It's like you know, seven feet going up over the wall. So it really it, to me, I think it's like the most physically demanding sport out there um, because a lot of dogs, uh, breeds, a lot of breeds just don't have the the, the physical capability to handle um, what you do in the sport, especially at the highest level. So it's um, the athleticism is, is huge for the jumping, the hurdle, the broad jump, the palisade wall. And then you do um, obedience. You do some healing patterns. Um, you have to heal with a muzzle to show that the dog won't fight the muzzle. Um, there's some scent discrimination that you also do um, in the obedience. And so you have a series of exercises you go through with obedience and then there's protection. And in the protection work, uh, the decoy wears a suit, a full body suit, um, you know, the arms, the legs, and the dog can bite any, anywhere on the suit. And then they have different types of exercises where like one is where you know, the person's running down the field and you send the dog to go attack. And then at the very last minute, the judge is like, no, your dog's not supposed to attack and you have to blow your whistle or call your dog and he has to instantly come back. And um, you want your dog to get as close as possible, like right before they bite and then whistle and call them back. Because if you blow the whistle too early, you lose, you lose points. You don't get the full points. And um, so it's a high, high level of, of control. Your dog has to respond instantly. And everything is, um, even from the very beginning level, the entry level, you have no collar, no leash. Your, your dog is completely naked. There's nothing on him, no leash or anything, even at the beginner, the entry level. And um, so you have to have, so you have genetically these real high driven, high, high drive, high energy dogs. And then you have to have this, you know, control over them in these highly stimulating environments where the decoy has a, they call it a clatter stick. It's like a bamboo stick and they shake it and they, they, they tease the dog and, you know, they make it so the dog wants to come after them, but the dog can't do that unless, you know, you tell him. And then, like I said, sometimes at the last minute you have to call him back or sometimes you can let him bite. And then when he's biting, um, there's certain times where you have to call the dog and make him let go. And they have to let go like instantly. Like if you're seconds late, um, you lose points. So the dog has to be super, super responsive to every command that you give it from, you know, healing at your side to releasing him to run down the field to calling him back or outing. And um, so we've got a number of uh, protection bite work exercises. And then there's one that is called a guardian of the basket. And um, I think you can go up to like five minutes where... Um, the handler is completely out of sight. You, you're hidden and the dog has a basket and he has to guard it. And he has to stay within a certain diameter, a certain distance right by the basket. And the decoy comes in and he tries to steal it from him. And he does all kinds of psychological things, trying to you know psych the dog out and try to make him leave and try to attack him instead of protecting and kind of guarding this basket. And it's amazing to watch because the dog is completely by himself and he's having to make a decision on when is it okay to bite? When can I not bite? When do I have to, once he bites and the decoy walks away, if he walks away a certain distance, the dog has to let go and go back to the basket and maintain guarding the basket and everything. The dog is completely making all these decisions on his own and the handler's 
you can't even see them. The handler's hidden. So it's amazing um, to watch them, to be able to do the the thinking and the thought process and decision-making. And they're doing all of that on their own. At the same time, the decoy's teasing them, you know, and and trying to purposely make him make mistakes. So um, it's, it's yeah, like I said, the first time I saw the sport, I, I just, I just fell in love with it because of it was the the level of training and the type of dog that had to have that level of training was just, when you see it at the highest level, it's just for me, just super impressive. Oh, absolutely. And I, I know uh, training has a big part, but for biting, does Barchi have a favorite place? Yep. He's a leg dog. So some dogs will have like upper body or lower body, but um, his preference is the lower body. He also has more training in the lower body. We started him when he was young on the lower body, but his, uh, his preference would uh, definitely be the leg and um, uh, he'll do the upper body, but yeah, I would say he's more, more comfortable biting the legs. Oh, nice. Um, so did you travel around much in the States yep. for different competitions? Yeah, we would travel throughout the U.S. I, I I won't fly them. I don't feel comfortable um flying my dogs, you know, or putting them in cargo. So I would only go if I could drive. And so we did um up and down the East Coast. Uh, we competed in Maine all the way down to Florida. Um, I competed in um, kind of heading out towards the Midwest. And then uh, we actually did, I traveled, I drove from New Jersey to um the Wisconsin, Minnesota border. It was like a 24 hour drive. <laughs> and um, we basically drove across, part, you know, a good chunk of the United States um, to train with um, his name's Fernando Dosta. And he's um, just a world-class level uh, trainer decoy. And we traveled out there and we spent 10 days uh, training with him, which, which was an amazing experience. But that was the furthest that I traveled. It was basically two days of 12 hours of driving. <laughs> by myself with him. <laughs> well worth the effort. It was. It was a it was an amazing experience. A lot of good memories. Okay. Um so going back to say when you were at your old place, going out with Barchi doing I mean apart from training, you took him on to uh, hiking and things like that? Yeah, um, he actually, um, I found out like he loves swimming. Uh, and ex as he got older, that was something that we would use just for fitness and stuff, you know, when the old body's getting achy or sore. Um, but um, I would take him sometimes to some just kind of local lakes and ponds. Actually, in New Jersey, uh, we had a, a indoor swimming pool that I could take him to to go swimming in. And um, we we would do that. We do a lot of, you know, the French ring training. I dabbled in um, detection work, uh, put a little bit of a foundation on narcotics detection. But it was interesting. We would practice where you, you would have wooden boxes with the odor in the box but he would want to guard the box. So that was from French ring. It was from guard the basket. So he was supposed to go and search for the odor, but instead he would stand on and on top of the box and go woo, woo, woo and guard and bark. And he would, that was all his French ring training. And he had a lot of years of French ring training. And, you know, I was like, I was just doing it for fun, the, the detection. And I was like, you know, it was frustrating. I'd have to try to re retrain all that and his behaviors. And it was, so we just played around and dabbled in it. I didn't do it real serious, but it was, it was funny. You could see the crossover of the sport interfering with our uh, detection work. <laughs> um, nice. And then uh, running and jogging, I do a little bit of, you know, some jogging and running with him and, and uh, you know, just trying to keep him active. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. great to hear. Um, and so it would come out in like fighting. So he would go and play with a puppy and they would play together. But as the play would escalate and he would get more and more excited, then it could actually turn into where he would be um, frustrated and then might lash out at the puppy or the, it would escalate. So he did much better with older dogs that, you know, were calmer and would not escalate the emotions and the activity. And so, um, so I did find that if it was an older dog and a dog that was really experienced and, you know, um, being around dogs that maybe um, had a lot of energy and were annoying <laughs> um, and could, you know, kind of, you know, 
put, put the younger dog in place, but do it in a way that was very calming. Um, he would do better with, you know, that type of a dog than say, just go turn them loose with another young dog. And they're just, you know, the energy and the excitement just builds and builds and builds and the frustration builds. And, um, and then that's, like I said, um, depending on the combination. So uh, it really had to be, you had to be really um, careful in, and you definitely had to monitor even any kind of interaction. Like even with my Doberman, when they would play, I didn't, I could not let it escalate. Um, and so I would let them play, but periodically, you know, I, they were trained that I could interject myself at any time. And it was not like, it's just go do whatever you want, not, you know, continuous, you know, go crazy. <laughs> um, so it was always monitored and, you know, I, uh, I, always kept it so things didn't get where they would escalate to a point where it might be a problem. So when, when he was with a dog that you knew that dog and you knew the level of energy, that's fine. But when you're with a strange dog and a dog, they don't know, you don't know, um, you don't know how those dogs are going to respond when, you know, another dog pushes all the wrong buttons, right? What's going to set them off? Because if you push the wrong buttons with him, with Bachi, like I said, his response is to, to fight, that's his, you know, the, an example is I was taking him for a walk when he was younger and a tree branch fell behind us. And most dogs, I think when, if they were startled, they have like, it's a startle reflex where they kind of jump and they, it's almost like a, you know, a fight or flight mode. If you're startled, you like flee, like you jump. Well, he was startled and his instant, he didn't know what did it. He just branch fell right behind us. And so his instant reaction was turn and attack. And it was almost like, like just a response. It was his immediate response was like something startled me, turn and go after it. And it was almost like his, you know, his initial response was act first. Well, this isn't not so unusual for Melanie. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of act first, act first and think later. Think later yep. <laughs> um, so I had, you know, definitely have to be careful and know if he's going to interact or be around other dogs, you know, you have to know, and uh, what is that other dog or even people? What is that person? How are they going to act and react to him? Because, you know, there are certain buttons that you can push and you don't want to push those buttons. And, and you know, he's a, a type of dog like um, you, you want to pick your fights, you know, wisely. <laughs> and and ideally, you don't want to pick a fight. And he's a kind of dog, um, you know, you got to you got to deal with it um, mentally. You got to beat him at the mental game because um, you don't want to get into kind of a, you know, a physical disagreement because, <laughs> um, you know, he's a, he's a big, strong dog. Um, and so, um, so it was something, like I said, he's a type of dog. You just constantly, you got to be on your toes and, and know your environment and, 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 and uh, know what kind of interactions and what trigger points um, and, and how your dog is going to respond. And like I said, it's, um, you know, genetically he's, he's bred to be a, a strong dominant dog and a dog that won't back down from, you know, things that are uh, pressure or, 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 you know, fear and things like that. So it's, it's totally, a totally different type of dog than any other type of dog I had trained before him. <laughs> Did he have any favorite toys? His bite pillow <laughs> for protection work. Um, the balls were okay, but the reward was that bite pillow that we would do in protection sports. Oh, nice. Uh, and what about, uh, say, uh, a favorite game? Biting. Biting. <laughs> <laughs> Biting I see a toy. theme here. <laughs> You know, tugs are okay, but that bite pillow, he loves that bite pillow. Um, and the suit, you know, the decoy, when they've got that biting suit on and biting the legs on the decoy, um, that is his ultimate is French ring. Like to the protection sport, like that is, that's his love. Um, yeah. And it was, it was sad when I had to retire him because that, that there, nothing can compare to um, how excited and how much he loves, loves doing the protection work sometimes think that um, physically some, say, a, a lot of males were like slightly rewired where the endorphins from, say, a nice ear scratch, the nerves have just gone in down into the jawline instead. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's his most favorite. Like you can't even compare it. Like that would be like a hundred. And then his second favorite thing would probably be like a 50, <laughs> you know, <laughs> is not, nothing, you know, people, 
it's just interesting when people are like, you know, the dog's not listening to you and is you're trying to get it to, you know, reward it, make it come back to you with a tug and make it come back to you with a ball and make them excited to come back to you. And I'm like, you don't understand. That is more exciting than absolutely anything in the world I can give my dog. <laughs> so, you know, trying to say, look at this toy I have come to me. That's not what he wants. You know, he'll come to you because I've trained him and you, you know, I call you, you must come to me. But, um, you know, trying to say, oh, he's not going to listen to you. Try to reward him with something different. It's like, no, that's, there's nothing that can compare to the satisfaction he has when he's doing the protection work. Has he, or do you notice any uh, like peculiar mannerisms that sort of set him apart a little bit different? There's, (laughs) he's got a phobia of flies (laughs) and um, he had a little bit when he was younger, but as he's getting older, it's, it's gotten worse. So, you know, dogs that have like a fear of thunderstorms and they just like, it's almost like, it's not illogical. I mean, they just can just absolutely freak out. Mm-hmm. Like he'll, he'll like freak out. Um, like if he hears a fly buzzing and he doesn't know where it is, or if he sees a fly, he, he's just, he, he's really scared of flies and he'll, he'll pace and he wants to like escape or um, run to his crate. And um, it has gotten, you know, worse as he's gotten older, you know, just mentally, he's not, you know, they're not as, you know, the same when they're 11 and a half as when they were two. And, um, and I have noticed that he's gotten older. Um, it's, it's, it's like a phobia. I have no idea why. Sweet people are like, was he once bitten by a fly or, you know, what is, I have no idea why flies. Um, but uh, it's interesting is he'll freak out. And if he thinks it's in the house somewhere, he gets all anxious and he'll, you know, he'll run from room to room and he's real stressed. And if I kill it and I show it to him, then he's fine. Then it's like, okay, okay, it's dead. I'm okay. <laughs> Has that ever, ever had a, an impact when he was competing on the field? No, thank, thank goodness, never. <laughs> I think because in, in, even in the obedience and com- competition, he's looking for the decoy. So he's so excited. He's like, where's the decoy? Where's the decoy? I want to get the decoy that um, the fly um, never bothered him. You know, there are definitely like flies out, but I think because he was so excited about looking for where's that decoy, I want to go find that decoy that um, it was just a a mild distraction. Um, If he did it now, I don't know. Because like I said, it has gotten a little bit worse as he's gotten older. So if, if he was in a down stay and the fly was buzzing around his ear, I don't know. He, he, he might decide to move and not stay in a, in a down, but luckily it never happened during competition. <laughs> oh, cool. Um, so how old was he when you got Knox? Um, he, I think he was about three, three, well, three, four. I wanted to have him titled in ring three and I wasn't patient enough. I said, I'm going to wait until he finishes ring three and gets titled and then I'm going to get my next dog. But we were actually competing in ring two before I got knocked. So I'd say there's about three years uh, difference. Eight, yeah, about three, three years between them. Mm-hmm. And how did that sort of initial interaction go? Um, they are, they don't have much interaction. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they're two strong, dominant Malinois, and they like to um, stare each other down if if I allow it, but I don't allow it. Um, and uh, so it's, again, it's just kind of a monitored, uh, controlled interaction. And it's not, um, again, you don't want the behaviors to escalate or anything to, to, to trigger and, and set them off. So, and I knew that, you know, I, I tend to, you know, I, I love Malinois and um, I tend to prefer males versus females. And I, you know, he would, I knew they would be better if I had a male and a female, probably, Um, you know, there are some males that, you know, that, you know, we'll fight a female, but um, I knew that when I got my second dog and I knew that it, you know, again, it's just, um, you just got to be on your toes and have well-trained dogs and, you know, know your environment and, and, uh, and manage it. Um, But yeah, they're, they're, um, it's weird. They have like a love hate relationship. So sometimes um, like one will be in the crate and the other one wants to come and lay next to them. And one minute they're like, Hey, let's hang out. And then the next they're like, (laughs) (laughs) it's like i will attack you and it'll be like a you know 
just out of the blue, you know, they'll be sitting there chilling and hanging out. And one looks across the room and all of a sudden one there's a low growl. And I'm like, all right, somebody just looked at you the wrong way. You know, like kids, it's like, mom, he's yep. looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it's kind of like that, like he's looking at me and one would growl and I'm looking at the other. Knox, normally he'd be like all innocent, just sitting there like, I didn't do anything. And I'm like, I know you did something because he just growled out of the blue. You either stared him down or something. Um, so you know, like kids, you know, kids harassing each other. <laughs> um, you've sort of recently sort of moved house into, mm-hmm. got to say, a stunning location. How did they, how did, um, or how did, how did, how did they both go with that? Yeah, it's, um, they're doing really well. I, I live in Maine. I live near Acadia National Park. So we got a lot of outdoor trails and carriage trails and a lot of places to be active outdoors. Um, it's interesting because as Bachi was getting older, he's got, um, he's got some deterioration of some, um, he's got like a slight narrowing. Well, it's been a while. We did an MRI. He had a slight narrowing of the spinal canal and he's got some stenosis in the spine. And, um, sometimes he has some, he has some mobility issues and some knuckling over of his back toes. And it was really interesting. I was visiting, I was, while a house was being built, I was in South Carolina with my parents for quite a while. And um, he was really back in July, he was having a lot of um, a lot of knuckling over of his toes, mobility. He had trouble standing up. And I wasn't even sure if he was going to make it to his birthday. His birthday was in August and he was not doing well. His mobility, I was doing acup- um, uh, acupuncture and, and, you know, um, we did x-rays and stuff of his spine Um and, uh, you know, I tried to keep him, you know, active, but uh, he, he just wasn't doing really well. And since I've come to Maine, um, he's he's just been improving um, his mobility and um, less of the knuckling. And and I'm not exactly sure why um, he's he was getting activity in South Carolina. It was we did a lot of stuff in the backyard and my parents had a nice big backyard. Here we do a lot of hiking and walking and a little bit of jogging in, in the national park. Um, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure what it is. I think when in the heat and humidity bothers him more and South Carolina's hotter, but he's actually done um, a lot better um, here. Uh, and I've seen improvement and I'm, I'm not exactly sure why um, we have been dealing with um, we've been dealing with um, just some persistent coughing and we did x-rays and um, pretty sure it was, it was pneumonia and we're treating them. And it was weird. All he did was had a little cough, just a persistent cough, nothing else, no other symptoms or anything, but um, we put him on antibiotics and the x-rays show improvement. He's been on uh, antibiotics for about six weeks now, but the cough is still there. So I'm not exactly sure what's what's going on with that, but he did have a little bit of a cough in South Carolina, so that's it's not new. But um, but other than his coughing, <laughs> um, um, he you know he handled it well, and um, like I said, his his health and his strength and his mobility, he's actually stronger, and is more mobile and is actually getting around better now than he was, you know, four months ago um, in South Carolina. Yeah, it's interesting. If he's in, enjoying the the outside environment more, yeah, we are. Um, you know, we are doing more extended in in South Carolina. We would do cavaletti and little exercises, some short little sprints in the backyard every day. And then here, um, I try to get him out at least three days a week. Where we'll go, I'm trying to get him up to two miles. Um, we haven't gotten there. We did 1.8 miles the other day, but um, he's doing more like steady state type, um, you know, cardio. So it might be the type of exercise um, that he's doing here. Um, but, you know, we don't do it as frequently because I don't have that, you know, I have like a, I'm on a hill. There's like a steep hill behind my house. I don't have like a big open field. So um, we don't get the same type of daily exercise, but then we have, um we are getting longer distance and more time on the trails when we do go out. So it might be partly related to that. Um, I've been getting, giving them some supplements for some extra protein. And I think that's also helped make a difference in um, just um, 
maintaining some more muscle mass on him. And I have noticed that he's been um, just seems stronger since I've been giving him the extra protein and the supplement. So I think that's also helping him and just being getting stronger and trying to maintain as much muscle mass as we can. Oh, nice. Have you uh, had any interesting encounters with any sort of local wildlife on the trail? Um, around the house a lot <laughs> on the trail, um, deer, um, right here, we've had a deer and we've had, a a uh, a, a doe raise two babies, um, twins, and I've seen them growing up over the last, um, four months here. And so they'll pop up right outside the living room window and, um, fox, there's, you know, fox, deer, um, wild turkeys, <laughs> um, supposed to be bear around. Luckily we haven't seen any bear. Um, at night I've heard some coyotes howling. We haven't seen them, but we've heard the coyotes. Um, and on the trails, mostly, you know, see squirrel or chipmunk and uh, deer. A lot of, de- there's a lot of deer around here. And how does Barchi react with that sort of, all those new sort of animals? Um, he's good in the house, you know, it's like, uh, you know, stranger alert, like, you know, he'll do the barking, like there's somebody outside, <laughs> but, um, but if we're outside or we're on a trail, you know, he'll, he'll be interested in kind of perk up and look like the other day I pulled on the driveway and there was a buck right outside the um, garage and he had, you know, um, some decent sized antlers on him. He was just out by the grass and I pulled up and got him out of the car and we just stood there and looked at the deer and he was fine. He just looked at him. Interesting. He didn't try to bark or chase him or anything, but when he's in the house, I think it's more like I'm, I'm protecting the house. Mm -hmm. So I've got to alert and let you know that there's, you know, three deer outside the window. (laughs) Um, Just want to go back to, I know we mentioned a, a few of the medical things over his life um, and maybe because or maybe not because of comp- uh, any kind of competition, but any other sort of medical issues that you've had to overcome? He had some um, prostate issues with infection and they pretty much said it probably would continue if we didn't um, have him neutered. So um, we did have him neutered and um, has, you know, he's, he's been fine ever since. And um, so we had that, uh, kind of like emergency surgery. He had an infection. We had to get the infection, get that um, healed up. And then he had surgery for that. And then um, uh, just a few months ago, he bloated. He had bloat and he had emergency surgery for bloat. And the veterinarian actually said he hadn't seen a dog of his age that he's done surgery for bloat survive. So um, we're really lucky to, 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 to still have him with us and that he, he survived. We I caught it early, the early signs in the morning. He was... I could tell something wasn't quite right. And I'm always bloat and um, heat stroke are two things I'm always just really concerned about because um, how, 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 how quickly it can, can strike them and kill them. And um, I saw some really early initial signs and I was like, eh, this isn't normal for him. I think, I think he's bloating. And I, I ran in, the, I took him out to go to the bathroom and he's kind of a little hunched over in the back tried to throw up. Um, nothing came out. It looked like he had abdominal pain. Um, he was not uh, bloated. You know, sometimes they get like that enlarged stomach. Um, he, he was, he looked a little bit, it looked a little bit enlarged, but not much. And, um, but I recognized the signs and I just, um, I, I was still in my pajamas. <laughs> I just, I saw it and I just, um, ran in the house and, um, grabbed up my purse, grabbed up my stuff, threw them in the car, um, I was at the um, animal hospital within 20 minutes. Uh, they took him immediately in, x-rayed him. Sure enough, they saw that the stomach was starting to flip. Um, he went immediately into surgery, was out within an hour. And, um, and uh, he, 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 was, he was fine. Um, they, they, we, it was a partial flipped. They said that if we waited much longer, it probably would have completely flipped. But um, it, we got there quick enough that we were able to, um, you know, save him and uh, without any damage to the stomach or any of the internal organs. So we were really lucky that I, I caught it early and, and got him in right away and very lucky it was a weekday and not a weekend. If it was a weekend, I would have had to driven probably about an hour to get to the emergency room. So I was very lucky that the it was a weekday morning and it was... 20 minutes away and they took them immediately into surgery. So we were lucky. Uh, absolutely lucky. And and the, the power of having a little bit of knowledge and knowing what to do if you're remotely worried about the signs of something going that way. Yeah. That's, yeah. But um, 
So hopefully, yeah, that's, that's, um, you know, the coughing, the, you know, treating for pneumonia now and um, the bloat. And then, like I said, the spleen, uh, not the spleen, spleen was fine, um, but the prostate. Um, but, you know, as, you know, as they get older, you know, you anticipate, you know, health issues crop up, but um, we're really, really lucky that he, he survived the bloat. And now if we can just, you know, get his coughing to stop <laughs> and, um you know, hopefully it's nothing more serious than, you know, just uh, giving some more weeks of antibiotics. Hopefully that'll do the trick. I'm going to ask a question that I ask all my guests is to, and I've I got a feeling I'm not probably going to get an interesting answer because of the way that uh, Archie's kept, but to complete the sentence, I can't mm-hmm. believe my dog ate. Hmm. He's, uh, I watch him like a hawk. (laughs) So he ate a fly the other, I, you know what? I was actually surprised. I was like, yay. I was so excited because he was brave enough. He ate the fly. I killed it for him and it was on the floor and I was like, you did it. And he was brave and he went up and he ate the fly. And I was like, wow, he didn't run away from it. So I thought maybe that's a step in him getting a little more brave with the fly, but he did eat a fly the other day. <laughs> well, look, small steps. Is, yeah. It's like the elephant and the mouse sort of thing. You got this. Yeah, yeah. That was about tough, three days ago. That strong male, and it's just like the fly sends him like, no. <laughs> I know it was my Doberman. She was funny. Like she'd see a spider or a fly and she'd be like, you know, want to eat it. And then Bachi would see it and he'd be like running away, you know, (laughs) help give me away. There's a fly on the floor. (laughs) Uh, um, Is there anything else coming to mind? Is there a a story you'd like to share? Oh, I think I've shared a number of them. (laughs) Yeah, from the fly story. Um, off the top of my head, you know, some of the, the the puppy stories and and things like that. But um, you know, I you know what I will add here is um, he he is the whole reason why I have my business, my Northeast Canine Conditioning business. He's the he's the reason I have a business that's allowed me to move to Maine and you know have my dream home and live in my dream location. And I I feel like I I owe it all to him. Because when he was when he was younger, he had a um, an injury, a soft tissue injury, just a pulled muscle, mm-hmm. and that's what got me on the journey to learn about canine massage and canine fitness. And I was um, a professor of education at the university. I thought my entire working life would be in education at the university. And, um, you know, I thought that my income level was always going to, you know, you have a certain limit and this is how it's going to be. And... Um, learning about canine fitness um, through his injury and, and getting interested in this, it just opened up a whole new world of um, canine fitness. And then I started um, doing seminars and my online business where I teach people about canine fitness. And then that, that grew and got to the point where I was actually able to retire early from the university and um, basically run now my full-time and online business. And that allowed me to live in the location where I live now because I have an online business. And I really, um, all of it was because of Bachi. You've Actually, preempted. Well, I was going to go into that. So, do you want to um, tell everyone what those businesses, and I say businesses, are? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, the business is a uh, Northeast Canine Conditioning, and uh, we kind of have two components. One is where I I teach. I have different online canine fitness courses for. Um, sport dogs, working dogs, um, people use it for their family pets. Um, I have a course right now we're doing enrollment, the Mission Ready Canine for Police, Military, and Search and Rescue Handlers. And we have a certification program. It's called the Elite Canine Athlete Program that can lead to becoming a certified canine athlete specialist. Um, So we have a a series of different types of online programs to teach people about keeping their dogs fit and healthy and performing well. And then um, another part of the business uh, is where I work with canine professionals and business owners, and I help them and consult with them on the business side of things. And because of my um, 
expertise in online teaching and learning, which also goes back to my PhD and my university experience. I help um, business owners move things online, uh, grow their online following or do things like doing online trainings or webinars or video libraries to um, doing 100% online courses and programs. So um, the other part of the business is helping people with the business side of things, the coaching and mentoring on the business side, and then also the canine fitness. And then I have another business that's uh, ECB Aspire. It's where I do the same type of consulting and business support and technology support for other industries, not just the dog world. Fantastic. And there's also a ton of stuff on Facebook. Yes. Yep. On um, the Northeast Canine Conditioning, uh, it's the letter K in the number nine, Northeast Canine Conditioning Facebook page. If you go to my videos, I think I do it every week. I'm like in year three. I think in three years, I've only missed four Fridays, <laughs> but I've been doing every Friday, a uh, Facebook live show, a free content, um, mostly fitness, I have some business topics. And I think we're up to about 165 shows. We might even be up to 170 shows there. So all of that's freely available through our Northeast Canine Conditioning Facebook business page. So I advise everyone, just check it out and you will find something that will help you, guaranteed. And we also have, if people want to test their own, you know, what is your canine fitness IQ and test your own canine fitness knowledge? Um, we have a little quiz you can do online. It's called the canine fitness quiz. Uh, it's the letter K, the number nine, just all together, caninefitnessquiz.com. And um, it's like a little self-assessment on a scale of one to 10. And we have different categories of areas of fitness where you can kind of rate yourself and see where you're strong when it comes to canine fitness and what areas maybe, you know, maybe areas that you might want to learn more about. So uh, people are definitely welcome to hop on over there and it'll email you like a summary of your score and you can look at the categories and see where you're strong and where you might be weaker. But um, that that's a nice resource for people to kind of see what, I've had people that are, that feel very, very confident in their canine fitness knowledge and they take it and they're like, whoa, wow, I didn't, didn't think about this. <laughs> Always yeah. something more to learn. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> well, thank you very, very much for taking the time out for having a, a chat and I have truly enjoyed hearing all about Barchi. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. I'm always happy to talk about him. <laughs> Looking forward to catching up later. Take care. Um, bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to support the show, head on over to Kofi. That's K-O-F-I and find the relaxed dog, and I would be very, very grateful. And you would also be helping out the show by just telling a friend and having a chat about it. So please do. Until next week, stay safe, and remember, your dog is family.